Welcome back. Charlie Stevens, your host, and this is Primetime DC, bringing together the best in venture capital to compete around the hottest topics in tech and innovation. Before we start, please show your support by subscribing to our new YouTube page. We appreciate you. Thank you very much. Now let's get into this. Here's today's panel of top venture capitalists. Sydney Thomas, Precursor Ventures. Really excited to be here and chat with the rest of the folks on, on the video today. Excited to have you. Nahal Mehta, general partner, ENIAC Ventures. Happy to be back, ready to go to the finals again. Let's do this. One of my favorite quotes of all time, uh, you only fail when you quit. I'm ready to get out. Solid confidence right there. Jenny Friedman, managing partner, Supernode Ventures. And frequently known as the Cardi B of VC, so um, yeah, if I'm, honestly, you guys have to come up with some titles. Like, happy to be here and coming back with a vengeance. Coming back with the good branding and the smack talk. We appreciate that. John Frankel, partner, FF Venture Capital. Hi, I'm John Frankel, sometimes referred to as the Taylor Swift of Venture Capital. That John, real heartbreaker. All right, here's how the show works. We're gonna talk about the latest news and funding innovation and technology, and our VC panelists will give their take, and we're gonna give them points based on style, stats, and facts. The top two VCs with the most points will move on to the finals and go head-to-head -head in the money round. Winner takes all, including the platform to promote whatever they choose. Let's go. It's primetime VC, the show of accredited banter. Primetime VC is supported by First Republic Bank. Banking built for innovators. Tech Day Online, the largest startup event in the US. Entra, the social network for entrepreneurs, creators, and innovators to easily connect and collaborate. First in. A flood of US tech companies filed to go public last week, including a few prominent software unicorns, Unity, Asana, Snowflake, SumiLogic, JFrog, and Palantir. Pick who you think will have the best start in the public markets. Let's start off with Jenny. All right, guys, ready for this? Let it snow! I'm using Snowflake with the, dis with the disclaimer that the margins could be a lot better. Regardless, this is an enormous market opportunity, about 80 billion in data sharing services, which hasn't really been quantified by market researchers. CEO Frank Flutman is effing dope. He put together a C-suite of execs who had worked for him at prior gigs, and the founder who built Snowflake, they are the definition of founder market fit. All three founders used to work together in traditional data housing, so like they were at Oracle, IBM, Google, and they took the last eight years building this alternative and improving the weaknesses of these legacy systems that have high costs, complex interfaces, etc. Um, this also isn't Flubin's first rodeo. He's successfully taken two companies public in the past 13 years, um, both data domain and ServiceNow. And he took ServiceNow from 100 million in revenue to 1.4 billion in revenues. And data domain, you, he, took his, he took it to sale to 2.4 billion to um, EMC. A lot of stats and facts. A lot of stats and facts. I'm going to cut you off. We're moving over to Sydney, though. Shit. I actually didn't care so much about who was taking the company public. I cared much more about the actual underlying product. I think that I'm really bullish on Asana. I think the problem they're solving is extremely huge and it it's 
it transforms, it goes over not just, you know, one industry, but I think it can impact multiple industries. So I think you like the nonprofit industry, the government industry, the tech industry, obviously, essentially, whoever has a project manager needs Asana. And I think that as they continue to build tools on top of their more basic task management software, they become almost something like a Salesforce, where everyone must have, if you, if you have a project manager, you must have an Asana. I see it as more of a layman's Atlassian, which I think Atlassian also saw that as well, hence the acquisition of, of Trello. And now Atlassian has a $24 billion market cap. And so I think that Asana has the opportunity to build actually more than that. All good points. Moving over to the hall. You know, I'm going to agree with Sydney uh, on Asana. Uh, although, you know, ENIAC has a few uh, coming out soon. I can't talk about them yet. Um, uh, but I'm going to pick Asana for different reasons. Um, mostly Dustin uh, Moskowitz, the founder, former CTO of Facebook, is a complete beast. Uh, I got to know him, hashtag humblebrag, at a, at a Facebook uh, co-founder's wedding. And he is, you know, the biggest presence in the room on an engineering team that, you know, nobody, nobody knows. He is uh, super humble and an incredible technologist. And he obviously took Facebook to a very large step. Um, very excited to see what he does with Asana. John, what do you think? So, you know, I'm going to try and answer this as quickly as I can, so I'll take no more than 15 minutes to answer this one. Um, first thing is, isn't it exciting that we can actually have companies go public other than an IPO? So Palantir's my pick. It's my patriotic pick here. And it's a pick because it's good for the US. 60% of their revenues are overseas. And how can you bet against a company where the average revenue per customer is $5.6 million? It's Peter Thiel, someone you just can't ignore. Um, he has backed so many great companies. Um, and the other thing to look at this is you have a bunch here of venture-backed companies that are going public. But about 30 companies go public a year that are venture-backed. And if you look at the public companies today, 85% of the R&D budget of the S&P 500 are venture-backed companies. So I love Palantir. I love the space. I love the coming to market through a direct listing. This is just great. I love the hat. And that's why I kind of gave you a little bit more time there. So that's good. Can I just, can I just say something to Sydney in the hall for a second? Sure. Your guys' founder, or one of them, Justin, he created the like button, but like never took a company public. So I'm just, just putting it out there. Just saying. He might be changing that though. Ooh. Well, at least, at least uh, they're not spying on people like Palantir is. I agree. <laughs> or Facebook. He's not at Facebook anymore, but yeah. There's good banter going on in this first round already. I got John in the lead. I like this. Let's move on. Y Combinator, the world's most renowned startup accelerator, just finished their 2020 demo day. The main themes coming out being prop tech, Shopifying different industries, and repurposing US tech in other countries, like Zillow for Egypt. What startup themes are you most excited for? Nahal? You know, as a founder, we always used to try to create analogies to get people to understand. And then what we realized is analogies suck. If you're building the next Shopify, if you're building the next Airbnb, if you're building the next Uber, then why would you compare yourself 
to an Uber? Why would you want to be Uber for X when you're something completely different and something even bigger? So I understand why founders want to do that so they can actually convey what they're doing very quickly. But I think doing that actually makes them look smaller than what they could really become. So we want originality. That's what we look for. Create your own Shopify for X. I like that. John. Uh, I gotta tell you, you know, I usually answer this question that like every sector is the most exciting sector because tech has like infused its way into everything. However, particular inflection points in drones, particular inflection points in robotics, particular inflection points in fintech. We have deep exposure across the board and we're very excited to see how our companies have responded to the COVID recession, uh, being an accelerator for a lot of these platforms. And I think we've got exciting times ahead. Sydney. Yeah, I'm glad that John brought up the recession. I think that, you know, we're very lucky to be in an industry that has not been significantly impacted by the recession. But, you know, a lot of the companies that I'm most excited about are focusing on creating better lives and futures for the folks who work. And so I think that what I was excited to see in Y Combinator and also more generally is a resurgence of interest on helping helping the little guy. And so those are those are the companies that I'm I'm really excited about right now. Jenny, let's go over to you. All right, this I, I'm just gonna say this is why I'm literally dope at my job. I called this whole like emerging markets, emulating proven businesses in developed countries, like I, I say a decade. I say usually like a decade ago, but it was a couple years ago. We've been excited for this thesis for so long and peeps are now catching on. Almost four years ago was our first uh, investment in LATAM and there, were, there was enormous opportunity in FinTech. Um, I'm giving credit here to my business partner who as an angel investor, she actually led a seed round in a company called Credit Justo, which is a lending platform from SMEs in Mexico City. And since then we've been exploring opportunities in LATAM, Africa, and India. So I'm stoked that, that we have these, this thesis in our portfolio in Nigeria. We have uh, a company called Healthcare, uh, Healthlane, which is One Medical for Africa. In Bogota, we have one called, one called Hobby, which is Open Door for LATAM. And yeah, the last few YC batches, we've seen this parallel market uh, for ex-developing countries. But even even with this, the uncertainty in uh, the COVID environments, we're still, we still, we're still bullish. We think it's here to stay. We'll move on to the next one, right? With the SEC expanding qualifications for accredited investors and the explosive growth of stock trading app Robinhood, a wave of new investors are pouring into the markets. What are your predictions for how this transforms the fintech landscape? Sydney, start us off. Yeah, well, okay, so I'm actually one of the people who was impacted by this you know, expansion of accredited investors because now it's not just folks who are making over $200,000 a year, but also people who are employed at VC firms. And so now I get, I get an in. And so for me, one of the things that I'm really excited about is how much more opportunity this offers um, people who would have traditionally been left out of some of the angel investing opportunities, some of the opportunities to invest and think and engage in the private markets and opportunity to dig in. And I think that's I think that's great. I think that will allow us to see actually a really different cross section of companies that are getting funded. It's not just, you know, like the rich guys 
and gals funding rich guys and gals. It's actually a lot of people who um, do not see themselves in that in that um, category who are getting the opportunity to invest in what they think could be a really awesome opportunity to impact the country, impact um, fintech, impact I think the world. Yeah. You're getting a lot of points there. Great answer. Let's move over to Jenny. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Sydney. I think the move to expand and democratize investing opportunities will have implications that are far beyond just the fintech landscape. And it's going to be a bonus to private companies everywhere, not just in fintech, but also all sectors where many companies are in need of liquidity right now. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that these rules are really going far enough. Uh, there's been very little change to these regulations in the past few decades, and they're way better measures of measuring of, of investing qualification than just based on annual income and net worth. And in 2019, there was way more capital in Reg D than in registered offerings. Um, the SEC says that 92% of people are live in non-accredited households, which means that they were excluded from more than half of investment opportunities. So I'd say you're moving in the right direction, but I agree with a lot of people who think that qualifications should be based on maybe even college degrees, advanced degrees, a written exam, and hopefully SEC is gonna continue democratizing, but I guess we're gonna have to see it in November. Right, right. John. Uh, the SEC has moved incredibly slow. However, we're in the first innings. There's so much more stuff opening up here. Why do they move slow? They want to prevent people from investing in highly speculative things where they could lose their money. Tesla's fine, Kodak's fine, but apparently investing in Airbnb when it's private is not fine. So that needs to be sorted out. We're in the early stages here, uh, but I'll tell you, Tech is on fire. Fintech is on fire. Uh, secure one of our portfolio companies around ID uh, verification, uh, KYC, just raised a $35 million round. StockTwits, which is the social network for Robinhood, their revenues literally doubled over the last few months. Uh, this space is on fire. People are interested in investing and the SEC has to make this more available for people and stop behaving like a nanny regulator. Yeah, big shout out to StockTwits, big fan of them and Gatsby, I haven't, no one's brought that up, but let's get over in the hall. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, the analogy is in the public markets, one of the reasons why tech stocks are soaring is that, you know, there's so much capital on the sidelines that is being shoveled into those very names and in the private sector, there were so many limitations to invest. And so I think this is a big band-aid that's been ripped off where now a lot more people, there's a lot more capital that can go into these incredible companies. Uh, Serena Williams tweeted about this yesterday as well. Um, and I think it's it's a huge move and, and it's massive. Now, along with this move, there's gonna be a lot of other fixes that need to be streamlined. Uh, one, for example, is creating a passport for accredited investors, right? Under this new definition. Every time you invest in a private company, it's not as easy as open your Robinhood app and clicking a button, although it should be. You need to fill out still dozens of pieces of paper uh, to actually just make a $10,000 angel investment. And so we actually have a company called Parallel Markets that's innovating in that space, specifically the private accredited investor space, creating a passport for any investor to very easily invest in all these opportunities. So it's not only unlocking additional capital uh, on the sidelines, but it's also making uh, this incredibly efficient and as seamless as, you know, a Robinhood transaction. 
Uh, but it's happening. Yeah. Well, humble brag yeah. for us too. We are in parallel markets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get a, you get an extra point for that excitement, Nahal. All right, I like that. That's that's. If I don't sucks. get a point for excitement too. I'm gonna be pissed, Charlie. I I got you a point. I'll take it right away. Jenny, you're always excited. You're always excited so that when somebody who's not as excited gets excited, it's more, there's a bigger delta. Good. I'm glad we're all on the same page at least. All right, let's move into buy or sell. Just so you understand uh, who's in the lead right now. John is in the lead and I have, and I have Jenny very close uh, with Cindy following in the hall. You are dead last. All right. All right, we'll move That's on. That's where I want to be right now, guys. Yeah. That's where I want to be. You have the most room for improvement. Let's just say that. Buy or sell. Buy or sell. Rapid fire segment. Each VC has 45 seconds to answer. Micro-mobility startups have struggled with profitability, which has been compounded by COVID-19 and safety issues. Buy or sell. The scooter wars are here to stay. John, start us off. Okay, so this, this to me is very simple. It's easy to confuse what is a great idea with a great business. The post office, great idea, sucks as a business. The MTA, great idea, sucks as a business. Scooters, great idea, you get the idea. So, we are, there are no barriers to entry. And if you hope the regulation's gonna be your barrier to entry, it ain't a good business and you don't control the outcome. So hate, hate, hate the space, but love the utility. Selling it hard. Cindy, what do you think? Okay, so I just wanna say a few things. The first one is USPS and MT are both public entities. And so whether or not they're good or bad business is irrelevant. However, I do think that the idea of behind micro mobility startups are really important, and I think it's, I think it's growing. Um, I live in Oakland, and so I am not, I have not taken part in maybe three months, and I think I probably won't take part for another three months. And I think this, is, I have neighbors with similar sentiments, and so people are moving, but people still need to move. People still want to go to Lake Merritt. People still want to go, you know, to Berkeley. People still want to go to downtown Oakland. And so I think that's where the scooters come into play. And so I think that the use case is continually um, extremely interesting as people are not able to take some of those more traditional modes of transportation, like public transportation. Nahal, what do you think? Are you hopping on that scooter? Yeah, you know, the analogy is, uh, I think, interesting. We're lucky to be an early part of Uber and it's very similar, right? The business model sucks. Unit economics perspective is really challenging. But these are necessary vehicles. This is a necessary mode of transportation. And I think over time, hopefully at scale, unit economics will prove out uh, to be break even or mildly profitable. There'll be subsidies from cities and states. Uh, I think the thing that saved scooters, to be honest, was COVID-19, was the pandemic. Um, whereas if you can get your own access to personal transportation, um, especially outside in a safe environment, um, you know, take that, uh, you know, over an Uber with other people in the car, uh, any day. So I think, I think it's just a tough to keep it clean. What's that? Definitely tough to keep it clean. Those scooters keep it clean. You don't know how sanitary they are. You know, I think, but, I think you just rock your, your wipes and you, you wipe it down and you jump on and, and I think you're good to go. But, uh, we're in the beginning. 
this feels like Uber 2012, they'll figure it out. Uh, but it's a necessary utility for, for humans for transportation. Just like a little boozy, wipe it down. Uh, Jenny, what do you think? Okay, yeah, I'm sorry, John, totally against you, Nahal, sort of with you. I am by on this one. This is a huge post-COVID rebound bet. So once lockdown measures ease, micromobility sector could be in a better position than any other form of transportation. Consumers are gonna, they might start to gravitate towards e-bikes and scooters um, since they might have sanitary concerns about ride sharing and, and public transport. Micromobility startups could also be an attractive acquisition target for ride hailing companies who don't wanna build their own in-house systems. And this M&A activity could actually relieve micromobility startup short-term liquidity issues. Uh, we've already seen in June, Ola was acquired by manufacturer um, Etergo, so that was dope also. And then this would also be a win for ride-sharing companies who've seen declines in like the 70% range because of COVID, and they could use micromobility acquisition to shore up their own operations. Okay, all right, um, pulling closer, this is good. Uh, let's, let's keep it moving. Palantir's move to Denver is another glaring example of big tech's exodus from Silicon Valley. Buy or sell, Silicon Valley will remain the epicenter of innovation and venture capital. Let's start with Sydney. You're out on the West Coast. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm hoping I'm staying here for the long haul. <clears throat> I do think, though, that it's interesting for folks who are younger in their careers who felt like they needed to be in San Francisco for one to two years and didn't mind paying the three to four thousand dollar rent. I think for those folks, they might leave. And I actually don't think that's bad. I think that Silicon Valley will actually remain a really strong place of innovation and venture capital without the influx of these young kind of like, I think, frivolous kids, frankly. And I think it actually becomes more of a functioning ecosystem with a lot more folks who are interested in it. It attracts people who want to stay here for the long run. And I think those are the folks who I want to work with the most anyway. And I think they're the folks who are the most interesting to talk to. Um, and so I'm, I'm by. Weed out the bad, keep the good. Uh, John, what do you think? Uh, it's an interesting question. I, you know, we're based in New York and we've, see New York come from number three, number four to a close number two. Um, New York suffers similar challenges to Silicon Valley in this sort of post-COVID compression that we're seeing. Is everyone going to work remote? We're all going to be milking the cow in the morning and then on the Zoom in the afternoon. Maybe, I'm not sure. Um, the reality is Silicon Valley is where the money is for a lot of startups. If you're B2B and you're looking for a late A, an early B, a C round, the money is in Silicon Valley. You have to be there because the VCs don't like to get on planes. Even pre-COVID, they didn't want to go anywhere further than a Tesla charge will take them. And so given that, that will be enduring. What's gonna happen because of COVID? The cost to rent is going down. The cost of space is going down. And you're going to find cities are going to be much more habitable. They're not going to be ghost towns. So I think this is just a pause in the continued growth of both Silicon Valley and New York, because that's where the money is. You're pumping up Silicon Valley a little too much, but let's move over to Jenny. All right. I, I'm a contrarian today. So sell, 
Silicon Valley is definitely at risk here. And side note, it's just such a lame place. I'm also a New Yorker, but like you can't even get seamless, <laughs> you can't even get seamless delivery past like 9 p.m. And there's who all over the streets. Like who wants to be there? Anyway, Google and Facebook announced that they aren't even having workers return to offices until at least next summer. And a lot of companies are following suit, Twitter and Slack, so that their workers can, re can work rem uh, remotely indefinitely. And for Palantir in particular, the margins for Palantir are not great and they're about to go public. Moving to Denver is definitely a smart decision to cut costs and save some cash. And if you think about the corporate tax rate in Colorado is 4.6%, which is about half of what it is in California. Office rent is a third of what it is in California. And the average size, of, average cost of a house is 460K. Uh, Facebook, Amazon, Google, Twitter, all of them, Salesforce, Datadog, Robinhood, they already have offices in Denver and it's attracting Bay Area-like talent, so sell. Yeah, I hear you. We're moving on in the hall. Listen, I, I agree with Jenny on the, on, the, on the poo per square foot trajectory uh, in San Francisco, but uh, I'm a buy and I'm, I'm a buy because um, if you guys read Jerry Seinfeld's post, uh, so you think New York is dead, the one thing that was really interesting was... Um, you know, he actually asked, why, why does Silicon Valley even exist? They have all this insane technology. Why don't they just spread out wherever they want to be? He answers very succinctly, real life inspiring human energy exists when we coagulate together in crazy places like New York City. Humans need that connection. We can be anywhere we want, but why, where we're physically situated is where the magic happens. And this is why, this is why I'm long New York, I'm long Silicon Valley, I'm long cities for that one reason. Making the comeback, Nahal. I like that. I'm, I'm we're recording out of Harlem right now, so I gotta be all about New York. You guys, all, all of you guys that are obsessed with Silicon Valley, Nahal can poo on your street for less than four percent of your pre-tax income. If that's if that's interesting to you, <laughs> he's more than willing. Wow, poo ratios. All right, uh, <laughs> all right. Last question here: Buy or sell? Epic Games sues Apple and Google after Fortnite's ban on the App Store. The wildly popular game was banned on the App Store after Epic Games bypassed Apple's payment system to avoid giving a cut of their sales. Buy or sell Epic Games' decision to take on Apple and Google. Nahal, back to you. Buy for sure. These guys need these guys need a check. You know, Apple and Google have controlled in this duopoly things way too tight for way too long. And finally, a publisher has some balls like Epic to be like, yo, what's up? We don't need you. We're gonna create our own distribution channel and that's huge. That's huge for the ecosystem, that's huge for developers, that's huge for entrepreneurs. So I'm buying that hard. All right, so uh, Jenny? I wanna agree, but I'm, I'm again, sell. Is this necessary? Like if Epic wants to wait an entire decade to see some justice prevail, like everyone else has filed complaints against Apple, then go ahead and wait. But to be fair, I've also never played Fortnite. I'm not a digital gamer at all, but Epic is just, it seems like they're just trying to take advantage of a decade long compliance. Uh, with these services. But do I think that Apple and Google need 30% of all in-app purchases because they need comp they need security for the ecosystems? No. But for, for Epic to, think, to say that they're not looking for any special treatment here is sort of ludicrous. It's not fair to all the other developers in the App Store and on Play. And it's also messed up that if you go to Epic's website, they're sending customers to Apple from their landing page inundating customer service reps at Apple Care with support issues. So rude. So rude. I like that. Uh, John, what do you think? Uh, so from Epic's perspective, I'm long the publicity, but they're going to fail. Um, you know, last time I checked, Apple is not the post office. It's not a public utility. 
It's a private business that happens to be very successful. They built the ecosystem from nothing. And guess what? Google built their ecosystem from nothing. They deserve to set the rules of what happens in their property. Pure and simple. Okay, Sydney, what do you think? Um, I am really excited about Epic's suing of Apple and Google over this ban and leaving the, the kind of infrastructure that they've created to date. I think that what they're taking from, you know, could, producers, both game producers and just generally app producers is ridiculous. They are both such large companies. And I think that they need to reflect a little bit more on how this is having a negative impact on the ecosystem more broadly. And is this cut, is the stake rate actually useful anymore? Like, I think if they did, they would say no. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Good point. I mean, we're rounding out the final round before the finals. Is there any last comments here? Any last uh, points? That's a nice tie, Charlie. Thank you. That's a point. Uh, it's not going to make you get to the finals. Uh, sorry, you missed a cut. Uh, matter of fact, I probably should mute you, but uh, that's it. It's all right. Uh, Cindy made a great push there, but was just taken over by newcomer John. John, welcome to the finals. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm, I'm humbled. Wait, does that mean I'm in the finals? Jenny made the finals. I mean, she's been practicing. so You deserve it, Jenny. You worked, you worked hard for this. This is my finals hat. Because I got to be cool to be in the finals. You guys, this is, I'm going to become famous. You watch it. This is amazing. Unbelievable. And John has a hat, so that's amazing too. You know what they say, if you want to get ahead, get a hat. No one says that. Nobody says that. The Money Round. Congratulations, you made it to the finals. Very proud of you both and you're in the one and only money round. Three more questions, pick a side, bring a fight, and let's go. Apple is showing signs it may soon launch a search engine to compete against Google search. Who are you taking, Apple or Google? Start off with newcomer John. I am so excited for Apple to get into search. I love competition. I hope they don't buy DuckDuckGo and I hope, unlike Apple Maps, they do it incrementally. It starts taking over just parts of the operating system in different places. It'll make Google search better. It'll make DuckDuckGo better. Each will have their own special characteristics and you'll be able to go to three places to get something. I love I like that. that. Jenny, what do you think? Oh, I hate that I'm agreeing, but I'm gonna agree with John. I don't really see why Apple wouldn't, but I just have to point out, on the other hand, last time there was all this like heightened activity on AppleBot, everyone had the same speculation and nothing changed. But this time around, we're seeing a lot of increased investment on the part of Apple into search and iOS now defaults to uh, Spotlight Search and Siri and bypasses Google, which is interesting. You guys just look at that. And we also know, we all know Apple doesn't need Google's money anymore. And I think the main differentiator would here be Apple's incentives to offer an integrated system instead of focusing on data mining and advertising. So Apple, let's see it. All right, all good points, but John went first. He took Apple, you agreed with him. You don't get the point, John gets the point. He's got the lead. But I will let you take the next question first, all right? That's what you win. So next question. Sports gambling is ramping back up as professional sports resume. DraftKings and Penn Gaming, with the help of Barstool, seem to be the front runners for dominating the market. Which horse are you picking to win the race? DraftKings or Penn Gaming? Jenny. 
Okay, this is so obvious, and I'm not just saying this because I went to you, Penn, but Penn, duh. Penn has taken an omni-channel approach, you guys. It has in-person gambling locations to generate free cash, and has tons more digital betting offerings than DraftKings to engage directly with the customer. So Bar Penn and Barstools together have become a sports betting powerhouse. Barstools alone has 66 million monthly active users, of which 62% identify as sports gamblers, versus DraftKings has 720K. That's nothing. This is a no-brainer. Pen all the way. Done. John? I think it's both. People are bored to tears. They're sitting at home. They're buying Tesla in the morning. They're on DraftKings in the afternoon. People are bored. They want everything. This is not a winner-take-all market. There'll be multiple players, each with their own flavor and taste. It's the same way like in the airline industry. There isn't just one airline, thank goodness. Competition, competition, competition. It'll lead to better product. Okay, okay. Well, let's keep an eye on John's gambling habits. Uh, there was a miss here. No one's brought up the GOAT. Michael Jordan is now associated with DraftKings, but I'm going to have to go with Jenny. Because I bought that Penn Gaming stock at $13, and now it's up to $50. So Jenny gets the point. Who is the most entertaining VC on Twitter? John, why don't you start it off? Oh, well, this is easy. It's, it's my uh, good friend, Howard Lindzen. Uh, he, he is like a lemon drop. He's acerbic, but addictive. Uh, just, you know, he has this dry sense of humor. He's great on Twitter. He's great on StockTwits. He has his own blog. He's got his own podcast. He's becoming his own media company. But he is great and a very astute investor. Okay. Okay, Jenny, what do you got? I mean, hello myself. I am dope on social media. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, I'm unabashed. I say whatever the F is on my mind. Um, I'm smart as hell. I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty good looking. And... Like, there's no, that's it. If you look at my Instagram, it's just hilarious. I, I gotta go with myself. It's witty, it's interesting. I'm, I'm saying me. Oh man, I, I don't know the humble brag. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to go here. Uh, I guess we're gonna have to go. I, you know what, the humble brag wins. Jenny, you deserve it. You, you prepared very much. Congratulations. There you go. All right. You deserve it. You deserve it. You got the platform. You have uh, your time to preach whatever you want to talk about. Take the stage. The final word. Okay. I mean, I want to thank the Academy. I want to thank, I want to thank, I want to thank my mentor, Nahal, because he's the dopest person in VC other than myself. He's li literally taught me absolutely everything. Um, so, and thank you for bringing me on the show because it's so, the most fun thing ever. And here's something else. If you're wondering where all my energy came from, it is from these dope ass bars, salted peanut caramel, salted peanut butter, verb energy, 90 calories. And it's just, it just, you can, you'll act like me. Who wouldn't want that? Thanks for watching Primetime VC, your go-to source for accredited banter. Join us next week while we bring together the best in venture capital to compete. Subscribe to our YouTube page, like it, and comment on your favorite part. Thanks again and see you soon.